All right. Well, hey, if you're visiting with us today, Katie, you are, so we'll let you know what's going on. We are in a series through summer that we are taking a look, a fresh look, at the book of Acts. Acts being the history book of the, of the early church. And we're looking at it, and we're trying to say, what does God, what could God be saying to us as we take fresh eyes, have fresh ears, we see, we listen, what's the Spirit of the Lord saying to us um, through the book of Acts? And I hope you've been enjoying this, um, because I think it just gives us fresh life, kind of resurgence of what's God asking the church to be like, and what's God doing in the church. Well, today, we're going to look at what I think is I theologically look at the book of Acts. There's all kinds of peripheral things, but there's one large underlying objective or theme to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at that today. And, and, and the real underlying theme of the book of Acts is this. It talks about or it reveals the expansion of Christianity from being a sect of Judaism. Remember, they were all Jewish people who came to know Jesus. From being a sect of Judaism, the expansion into being the message that is for all places for all people, for all socioeconomic groups everywhere on planet Earth, that the gospel is for everyone. That the book of Acts and the rest of Scripture reveals that God's plan is to create, through Christianity, a new group of people. And actually to create this, and this is not too strong of language because it's really the intention of Acts, to create a new race of people. Literally a new race or group of people who are united in Christ and are being developed to become more like Jesus. Developed in Christ's likeness after coming to Christ then being totally different than we, they, people are before they knew Christ. Acts reveals that now when we come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord that we get a new identity. That as Christians now, as we're what was as a Christian, now being a Christian, I'm using a word here, trumps any other identity you may have. Now, do you understand when I say trumps? Anybody ever play sheephead or some other card game? Or if it was consent, really? You, you all had to play sheep's head. Okay? There's a trump card. The trump card in playing cards, I'm not a big card player, but I grew up German Wisconsin. You played sheephead as a kid. Um you, you, have, you throw your trump down. The trump cards are the high cards. They're the powerful cards. They're the cards that are more important than the rest of the cards. And in Christianity, what God is doing in the expansion of Christianity is he's giving us a new identity where we say, now I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And this new identity now trumps anything else in my life. That everything else is less important. Now, because of that, any division in humanity, any division where one person is divided from another is really brought together because we become a new group or a new race of people. So any division that was based on one person being white, one person being black, or one person being rich and one person being poor, or one person being Republican or one person being Democrat, that all of those are now trumped by the fact that in Christ, we are now Christians first, and everything else becomes secondary. You can give the Lord a hand, because that's the truth. Everything else becomes secondary. First, we are a Christian. 
everything else becomes secondary. And this applies to any category that could divide humanity, the race we are, the nationality we are. So, you know, some people don't like somebody just because, you know, I'm Italian and you're whatever, and therefore we historically don't like each other. All of that goes away. Any division based on gender, meaning that sometimes we think, you know, in some cultures, um, men are more dominant than women. God says it's not the way it's supposed to be. That men and women should be equal in Christ. That um, any other, any political perspectives all become secondary to being in Christ. That God's plan is that divisions become less important as we become more like Jesus in the kingdom of God. Now, the book of Acts deals with this from its very start by helping the church to see that the lines of divisions, which they in the early church had held as very important as Jewish Christians, no longer applied. That's why in the very beginning of the book of Acts, um, the, the author Luke quotes Jesus and says this in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So what's happening here, the Holy Spirit, he's saying the Holy Spirit would come upon part of and the early church and then the church that was begun then, which we are still part of, as a result of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the church would then take the message of Jesus literally to the ends of the earth, to the close to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth, that they would take the gospel to every people group on the planet. That makes sense? Right? Now, there was probably something that they never thought of when they heard that message. It was said by Jesus himself. Probably made them excited, but there was something they probably never thought of, and it's this, is what they probably didn't think of in their excitement. They, meaning the early church, didn't believe anyone outside of Judaism could be saved. They didn't, you were either a Jew or you had to come in and basically become a Jew. No one outside of Judaism could be right with God in their eyes. They thought that God was only for the Jews. So throughout Acts, God shows how the gospel is for all people, regardless of who they are or where they're from. God was showing that in his, his plan was to create this new group, this new race of people, where their new identity as Christians would trump anything that previously divided them. Now, nowhere in the book of Acts is God's plan to do this more clearly revealed than in chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Acts. That's what we're going to go today. 10 tells a story, and 11, it's so important, 11 repeats the story. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at chapter 10, see what it reveals to us with fresh eyes and fresh ears, and we're going to see and we're going to hear what God has to say. And I'm going to give you a warning in advance. This will mess with some of us in this room. I'm telling you, remember a while back I did a sermon where I said, if you have tomatoes, put them up here first because don't throw them at me. And some people got, they're like, I can't, you know, it was talking about our relationship with civil government and we looked at it straight from scripture, not from, not from the news. And it was, it was unsettling because it didn't exactly line up with a lot of times what we think. Well, some of what we're going to look at today falls in that same category as we look at 10. So we're going to do something today so that 
you will understand or we will understand that we're simply looking at what God has to say here and not me just taking a little verse and taking it out of context and making, an, uh, making a comment about it. So we're going to do something. We're going to read, I'm going to read, and you're going to listen to the entire chapter of chapter 10. Now, this is like the most verses I've ever read in a service probably in my life. It will be on the screens. You can follow along, um, or you can just close your eyes and listen because it's a story. And so I am going to read the entire chapter of chapter 10 of the book of Acts. It's 48 verses long, okay? And so we're going to read this right now. So you ready? When I was doing this, I really was hesitating. Can I really read that much in a sermon? And I was reminded that the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Honestly, as I was wrestling with it. And as I thought I could summarize it, but I thought, no, I don't want there to be any chance of somebody saying, well, you're twisting what God said. We're just going to listen to what God said straight off because somebody's going to affect us a little bit. Okay, so chapter 10, giving ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Here we go. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him left, he summoned two of his servants with a devout, with a devout soldier of, of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way, they approached the city. Peter went up on the housetop. So this is Simon Peter. Went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down and four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and, cr- and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, get up, kill, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Be fair of that word, myself. God did it. Verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason you have, you have come? 
They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And he talked with him, and he he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then... We are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he said to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Christ Jesus, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that the thing which took place through all of Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God appointed him with the Holy, anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are, all, we, we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jew and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on the cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins." While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized in the name of Jesus' Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. (sighs) That was a lot of reading. So, let's remember before we talk about what this says. 
that Jesus had said that those in his church, we looked at Acts 1-8, would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they would then take the gospel to every corner of the world, right? So we looked at Acts 1-8. Well, here in Acts 10, we find God himself moving this mission forward. But there's a problem. Peter, who is a Jew who had become a Christian, could never in his mind conceive of the possibility of telling a Gentile about Jesus. In fact, he couldn't even conceive of the possibility of talking to a Gentile, let alone letting a Gentile come into his house and lodge there, and then him going into a Gentile's house and preaching there. So God orchestrated this elaborate plan that we just read about in Acts chapter 10. He tells Cornelius, a Gentile, to send for Peter, a Jewish Christian, and he, to convince Peter that was okay, God put him into a trance. Who's God ever put you into a trance? No, God's getting pretty, pretty extreme here. Puts him into a trance and has him through a vision three times with a sheet full of forbidden food that the Jews could not eat, and God's saying, kill and eat it. And then to prove to Peter, and after he preaches to them, to prove to Peter and all the Jewish Christians who had come along that the Gentiles and his family and his friends could actually turn to Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they have an experience just like the Jews did on the day of Pentecost, where they all begin to speak in tongues to the glories of God. And they look at it and they go, oh my goodness, the same thing happened to them as happened to us. Look at this elaborate plan that God put together to convince these folks that in Christ, they could be united. That's what God is doing, that in Christ, these people who are separated could be united. God put the plan together. Man didn't. This wasn't some peace summit. God himself put the plan together. God had an angel visit Cornelius. God put Peter into a trance and had three visions. God had the Holy Spirit repeat what happened on the day of Pentecost to the Gentiles there at Cornelius' house. It was all God's doing to advance God's plan. Friends, God is now in Christ creating a new race of people, a new group of people where their new identity as Christians trumps Anything that previously divided us. That's what God is doing. And the Apostle Paul, in another place in Scripture, in Galatians, explained it like this so that we understand a little clearer what's going on here. Paul in Galatians 3 says this, For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's how we become part of the family, faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is the result. There is neither Jew, he's saying, once we come to Christ, now there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying that's the reality that's going on now. This new group of people, this new race of people that God has created called Christians are unified, and that unity trumps everything else. Now ask yourself a question about what what is being said here in in Acts and what Paul says in Galatians. Ask yourself this question. Are people still male and female? Please. (laughs) Louder? Yes. Are people still male and female? Yes. The answer to that question is yes. If there's any doubt, the answer is yes. We're still male and female. Are people still Jew or Greek or Italian or, or German or Filipino? Yes. Are people still black or white or brown? 
Yes. Are people, unfortunately, still some enslaved and some free? Yes. But now in Christ, that doesn't define people anymore. Now in Christ, our identity is as this new race called Christian which above all now unifies us together regardless of what color our skin is, regardless of what our gender is, regardless of our nationality. We nest to the part of something greater that holds us all together. Now this brings us to the part of the story from Acts that might mess with us a little bit as we apply this principle to our times. Let me ask you an important question from Acts. It's the whole reason I wrote this sermon, because as I was reading from Acts through Acts, preparing this service, the, 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 the series, I, I was just struck by something I hadn't paid that much attention to before. And it's this. What Gentile person, remember, it's the expansion of the gospel. They thought it was only Jews. Now it's expanding. It's going to go around the whole world. Peter can't believe that anybody that's not a Jew could ever receive the gospel. So God has to prove to them, hey, if I'm going to move my story forward, I've got to get these, the disciples to understand that they have to reach people who are different than themselves, and it's going to bring them together. And so what Gentile person did God choose on purpose to be the first Gentile convert? What's his name from Acts 10? Cornelius. Who is Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier. No, he's not just a Roman soldier. He's a leader of the Roman soldiers. Why is this so important and so stunning? Because Rome was the opposition party. Rome, were, in their eyes, were the bad guys. Rome crucified Jesus. Rome oppressed Christians. Rome believed that their Caesar was their God. Rome was the opposition party. Now, think about the 12 disciples. For just a minute. Who was the other Simon? How would you like to be known as the other Simon? We all know Simon Peter, right? Who was the other Simon? I heard it. Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was the other Simon. We have Simon Peter. And the other Simon is Simon the Zealot. What's that mean, he's Simon the Zealot? What it means is he was of the extreme political party that sought to overthrow Roman rule by force. He was the far, 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 far right. In kind of our thinking today, and Cornelius is the far, 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 far left. Right? Simon, as a zealot, hated Rome. He was of the group that, some of you have watched The Chosen. You know, The Chosen. Now, don't get, don't, The Chosen's awesome. But remember, we follow the book. But at least what they show in there is the zealots who are trying to kill Romans, right? In one of the episodes, there's a Romans, a Roman, uh, the, the um, Jewish uh, attempt on the life of Roman soldiers. That's part of it. That was the zealots. They really lived like that. They really did. They tried to, they wanted to kill Rome. Simon the Zealot hated Rome. He was the complete opposite politically. And in all reality, Peter probably wasn't all that far behind Simon. Look what God does. He takes the farthest from the one side and the farthest from the other side, and he brings them together into a new identity called 
Christian. And friends, this should mess with us. Jesus Christ chose the leader of the political party that actively harmed Christians and caused him to be the first Gentile convert to Christianity. Does that maybe undermine the view that I hear often that says something like this? Well, no one could be part of that group, that denomination, that political party, and actually be a Christian. Does that maybe undermine that a little bit? Cornelius was part of the opposition party, and it says he was a devout man who feared God, gave generously to charity, and prayed to God, and he was part of the opposition party. That's who God chose on purpose. He chose him on purpose, why? To mess with Peter and to mess with us. He did it on purpose. God didn't just willy-nilly choose Cornelius. He did it on purpose to mess with Peter to say, of all people that I could not believe could ever be saved, this guy is the picture of it. And that's who God started with to show us that it could be for the gospel for anybody. This should make us think. Do we think Jesus is only for our team, whatever our team is, whatever that means, whatever people group or whatever team is? Do we think that God is only for our team? Listen to Peter's conclusion from these events that he has shown me. Look at Acts 10 verse 28. God has shown me, this is Peter, that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Say any man with me. God has shown me that I should not call any man, any woman, any person, unholy or unclean. So what conclusions can we come to from looking at this story for us today? I think there's three that are important. First is this. Just because someone has a different economic view than you, a different political view from you, doesn't mean they can't be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you in this work, especially because of social media, we we see what people think and what they say. I hear this all the time. Something like, there is no way you could belong to that group, that party, and be saved. And I would say this. Acts 10 and 11 has shown that God has gone to great lengths here to disagree with that belief. That God has gone to great lengths to disagree with you if that's your thinking. Here's the thing we have to wrestle with. Genuine Christian people can see things differently. Genuine Christian people can see things, economic decisions, political things. We can see them differently and still be said of a person on the opposition party if they are this person, not if they're not a godly person, but they were godly, they feared God, they gave alms, they were well-respected, you can still be in that and have a different view. Remember, this is talking about people who have turned to Jesus and that pre-Jesus had, were still trying to worship God. He's saying you can be on either side and see things differently. That's the first thing. Number two is this. The most important thing in our lives needs to be telling people about Jesus, not promoting social political, or economic views. The most important thing needs to be telling people about Jesus, not promoting social, political, or economic views. Uh, You know, I have very strong opinions about political, social, and economic policy. Very strong. Matter of fact, I don't understand how an intelligent person can see it differently than me. I'm serious. 
I'm like, if you're intelligent and you look at the facts, this is the way it ought to be. But there's some intelligent people who look at the facts and see it differently than me. These things are important to me. But the most important thing, the thing that should cause me the greatest concern is the state of someone's soul, of them being united with Christ and being in the family of God. That should be the greatest thing. So in interacting with someone who disagrees with me, and I'm going to call this, because, and I hate to do this, this what I'm going to define it, but it, it helps us understand, um, because I don't think there's division. I don't think there's sacred and secular in our life. But I'm going to say this. When you find people who disagree with you on worldly issues, which to me are like economic, political, worldly issues, I want to spend less time on those issues and more time and energy on building a bridge so that I can share Christ with those people. To me, that's more important. So that's the second thing I think we draw from this. The third thing is this. We are part of the same mission that Peter was part of back then. The mission hasn't stopped. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been empowered by the same Holy Spirit to tell everyone that Jesus is, that, that Jesus is for them and wants them to be in his family. That's his mission. Telling people that Jesus is the only answer. That's the mission. That supersedes anything else that has to do with anything else going on around us. Church, we, the church of Jesus Christ, have the answers. Feel good about that. We do have the answers. We have God by His Spirit inspiring His book. We have the Holy Spirit talking to us. We have the answers. That's not arrogance, just saying that God is the answer through Christ. And this world is the divided mess. And we have the only way to promote love and unity, and it's only through Jesus Christ. And let me me ask you or warn you or something, I don't know how to say it today, but this. Don't take the devil's bait and keep getting pulled into the mud of this worldly conflict. Rise above it. In God Jesus, rise above it. See people first and foremost as precious in God's eyes that they are sometimes just confused and deceived, like I sometimes am confused and deceived. And instead of hating people, let's love people enough to try to help others find the truth in Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. So has this messed with you a little bit? Got awful quiet. It's messed with me a little bit. I told Pastor Paul, I said I made the mistake of listening to what I told you guys to do. Just kept reading the book of Acts through and through during the series. Because I hadn't planned on using preaching chapter 10 when we originally outlined it. I wasn't going to preach this message because I didn't even see it. And then reading it, I saw it. I'm like, ugh, I got to preach that sermon because it's right there. God chose Cornelius on purpose to make a point. If it messes with us, it ought to. I'd say this, if the word of God's not messing with you anymore, you're, we're probably not listening. We're probably so convinced we're right about everything that we're closed off. We're not right about everything. Friends, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to find out that we're wrong about a lot of stuff. I'm telling you now, I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. I think I'm right, and that's why I say it. We're doing our best to figure out what God's saying to us. That's why we, that's why we hold to the word of God. It's our anchor that helps us to, to find his truth in shifting times. So as a church, 
When the worship team come? As a church, let's prioritize loving people and revealing Jesus more than arguing about current events. Right? Let's prioritize loving people over arguing about if I'm right about a particular current event. Think about this. In your real life, in your everyday world, what person have you disagreed with on some topic recently that you are so animated about, you are so convinced you're right, that it literally ruined your relationship with them? Or it's put it at so far, so, such far distance that you, uh, that you can't even hardly talk anymore. What person have you disagreed with that just maybe this week you could be the one who picks up the phone, says, hey, let's get a cup of coffee, and you just sit there and you talk about family and you talk about the fact that the Brewers won last night? I'm not saying you got to live in superficial, but there's a damage done in the relationship. It might just take some superficial right now. And you just try to rebuild your relationship with that person. If they're a believer, they know Jesus, you're rebuilding that relationship because that's God's plan, this new race where everything else is secondary. If they don't yet know Jesus, you're rebuilding the relationship so that you can tell them about Jesus who has, who has changed your life. You can introduce them and you're going to say, you know what, you're way more important to me than, than you know, we can, we, can, we can agree to disagree on non-essentials. We can agree to disagree. And the most essential is that people know Jesus. Wouldn't that just maybe be a great God-honoring way to spend some time this week? Asking the Lord. There's been a lot of damaged relationships over the last couple of years. We have never, we've never lived through a time as volatile as we've lived through and we're living in right now. Some of you won't talk to your own children because you disagree with something. Some of you won't talk to a neighbor. You won't talk a lifelong friend because you disagree on something. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Jesus is trying to say, in him, we are brought together. And it's okay sometimes to say, well, and and when you have a good relationship, you can say, well, here's what I believe. Another person can say, here's what I believe. And you can say, okay, well, I disagree with you. All right, I still love you. Just because they don't agree with you 100% doesn't mean you have to discard them from your life. So should we be the build, bridge builders maybe? Should we be the ones who think about who have I had a division, divided relationship with and reach out to someone this week? Don't you think that just maybe honor Jesus a little bit? I think it would. I believe the Holy Spirit will bring names to your mind, names to our minds, that we say this is the person this week. Pick up the phone and make the call buy him a cup of coffee, buy him dinner, whatever it takes, and just say, let's not argue, let's not fight, let's just restore what's broken, because you're worth it to me. I think Jesus would love that. Now maybe also, you're here today, people who clearly in Acts, it was talking about people who chose to live for God, that were united. It didn't say the people who don't live for God were united. They're the ones who are killing people. I don't know how how the centurion, how Cornelius could be part of that. It's mind-boggling. How could he be this God-fearer who comes to Jesus and be a Roman soldier? And get, me, get this, after he got saved, he wasn't able to lead the Roman army. It didn't work that way. He still was in the Roman army. I don't know how he did that. But he was a God-fearer. He's talking about people who love God, who fear God. 
we're looking, and, he, and he's explaining in the gospel now is the way that you get to know God is only through Jesus. That's the point of that's being made in Acts 10. It's only through Jesus. So maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, Jesus, you know what? Um, I need you as my Savior and my Lord. You've never come to the point of recognizing that what, yet you don't have Christ in your life. And I'm not talking about being part of a church. I'm saying have really have Christ in your life. You've given your life to Christ. Well, here's the deal. You can do that today. You can simply say in your heart, right now, Jesus, I need you. I'm far from you. And I invite you into my life. Please come into my world and, and wipe away all the garbage. Make me brand new. Help me to, to know you and to, to walk with you from this day forward because I want to be your follower. Friends, if you pray that prayer like that, God always says yes to that. Today might be the day that you say yes to the kingdom of God and you come to know Jesus and you enter his world. And if, and if that's you today, when in a little while and the worship team is going to be singing, you can come up here and if you want and talk to me, I'll be right up here. I can, you can talk to me. Some other prayer people will be up here to talk with. We can talk to you about it, answer your questions. And if you're saying yes, we can, we can just pray with you and say, come into the kingdom. So what's God asking of you today? Who's God bringing to your mind? Lord Jesus, as we wrap up our time together today, we ask that you would, that as we give you access to our, our very hearts, that Lord, you would speak to us and, and that we as a church family would be more representative of what you're trying to accomplish through Scripture because we allow you to work through us to bring reconciliation maybe where there's damage. That we put loving you and being believers united in Christ as the highest priority in our life and that we see telling others about you is the most important thing. So Lord, we're open books today. Help us to grow. Help us to become better as we walk with you. More reflection of who you are in the world.